In Ridley Scott's masterpiece Blade Runner from 1982, the dying replicant Roy Batty, played by the Billy Idol blonde Rutger Hauer, has a classic piece of monologue. A monologue that granted him an eternal place in cinema history. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time like tears in rain time to die so what does burning attack ships and glittering sea beams look like i mean it's one thing to write about it but how do you make it become Real? Well, you need digital wizards, of course. Welcome to Yellow Brick Road, a podcast about visual effects, animation and digital mastery. Hi everyone, I'm Nils Lagergren and this is Yellow Brick Road. Today we're going to talk about concept art and how to create brand new worlds. How to transform words in a script or a treatment into full-blown and totally believable worlds. Our guides on the journey are Donald Bystedt, senior character artist and VFX supervisor at Goodbye Kansas, and Andrea Wallin, director and one of the world's most renowned concept artists and mastermind behind many great Star Wars designs. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to have you here. Andrea, how, how did you stumble into the world of visual effects? How did it start? Um, well, it started with just a pure passion for uh, drawing and painting uh, from an early age. And um, I took a 2D slash 3D course uh, around 2007, uh, where I started to learn some uh, 3D. Uh, prior to that, I experienced, um, I'd, I'd, I'd found um, a passion for um, drawing digitally uh, through Photoshop. Mm. And, but I, I doing that, I'd done that as a hobby. Uh, for a number of years, and then I took this course, learned some 3D, and um, after that, I took that I, I took that course for a year, and then I was offered um, uh, a job over the summer at a studio in uh, in the UK called Real Time UK, mm. and I worked there for a year, and then I uh, was introduced to a company that was doing the Oblivion graphic novel, and. Um, I started to do some freelance work for them as an illustrator for that project uh, in 2008. And then from there on out, um, sorry, 2009, and from, from there on out, I, I've done freelancing uh, as a concept artist. Um, that, that project led into 
Oblivion the movie. So yeah. it, it started the Tom, with the Tom Cruise movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that the uh, the graphic novel um, transformed into the first you know movie job. Great. So that that is, that's a uh, hopefully a very condensed version of um, my <laughs> my career path up until this point. D- Daniel, uh, are you a fan of the Blade Runner world? I'm a huge fan of the Blade Runner world. No, I think it's great. Um, it's it's an interesting world um, because it's like it plays down in this big city, and there's like layers of history, sort of like a real city where you can see like there's old buildings and there are newer buildings and stuff of various like technical design. So mm. it doesn't feel as constructed as other sci-fi movies. Can feel, yeah. uh-huh. uh, for example, like you see stuff like uh, ventilation ducts and stuff like that, uh, makes it believable. And it's also kind of like when you think about the story um, with the replicants and the humans, and it's a big. Um, they're basically well, they're being hunted for uh, like trying to become a free person, like uh, with. Yeah. And uh, there's this huge like disconnect between these two groups. And it sort of um, echoes in the design of the city. It's sort of like everyone is living really close together and it's like this big city, but no one really sort of feel connected to mm-hmm. one another, if right. you, that makes sense. But yeah. that was a pretty new thing when Blade Runner arrived. and This kind of like gritty dystopian picture of the future. I mean, before that, most like science fiction or... It was rather clean, everything. But Blade Runner was dirty. Yeah, I guess. it's um, yeah, Well, the dirty thing you could also see like an alien in that sort of like a yeah. big spaceship that they... Also Ridley Scott. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, it's something that I think is... It, it is great because it just makes the entire environment more believable. Yeah. Andre, you worked on several uh, Star Wars films, and how has the Star Wars style evolved during the years that you've been with the franchise? Well, it depends on on how f- how far back you want to go. I mean, the prequels did not really um, evolve into the. I mean, it, it, Star Wars f- uh, for me and for a lot of people, I think, has gone has had a, a very interesting evolution in that the prequels were completely different in, yeah. in the style and tone, whereas the, the newer Star Wars films that I have been involved in um, are more influenced and inspired by the, um, by the universe that were established by the, the first three mm. uh, films. So uh, in that sense, I don't think that the newer Star Wars films has not really evolved that much uh, in the aesthetics Department. I mean, it's more you know we've taken the stormtroopers and made them um, slightly. Um, we've upgraded them slightly in 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 their designs, but but um, everything has to be um, the the overall shapes and and the overall aesthetic is definitely um, uh, you know very very similar to the. Yeah, it is like I mean the the style is set in a way. So so when you are yeah. like like told to like come up with a new design or anything, you have like rules that you need to to stay yeah. within boundaries. Yeah, I mean Star Wars is all about 
big simple geometric forms and yeah. shapes. So as long as soon as something is not um, graphic in its uh, immediate read, mm -hmm. uh, then it, it is uh, almost instantly rejected. Yeah. Uh, because Star Wars has to be um, easily digested and absorbed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, no, no matter how big and complex the environment or the world may be or the planet, um, all the designs and all the uh, intricate details of that world has to be, um, you know, uh, a 12-year-old has to, you know, be able to look at that and appreciate it uh, in the same way uh, an adult does. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, an adult may see the the, the finer, greebly stuff on, on the Millennium Falcon, but it's still the overall shape that everyone gets and everyone recognizes, yeah. uh, young and old. So... Um, but it's actually interesting that you mentioned the greeble stuff because it's like uh, when they designed the initial spaceships and stuff, there was a lot of like just kit bashing, like having yeah, yeah. having like random stuff. Just uh, yeah, and the funny thing is, they used um, I think um, back in the uh, when when they did the first uh, Star Wars. They used um, um, you know model kits from yeah. uh, they used a lot of like tanks and and um, uh, stuff from World World War Two mm -hmm. like all these type of uh, designs and, the, and 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 uh, like like models and then they would um, just use bits and pieces of them and and slap them onto yeah. like the, the, their ships and the funny thing is that they did the exact same thing on the on Force Awakens, for example, when uh -huh. uh, when you went into the to the workshop, you would find all these empty boxes, like model kit boxes of like uh, you know tanks from uh, from the World War, uh, like World War Two tanks, and then um, you would see you you know all over the place, you know all these bi you know bi bits and pieces from from like. Um, uh, from these ki models, uh, the, the, these kits were, were um, litter, littered all over the place, and and they would use uh, just as they did in the seventies. They would use these bits for 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 the models that they created hmm. for for the newer films as well. So uh, even even in that sense, it still um, it still hasn't evolved beyond that. But but yeah. it's because it works. It's yeah. there's something to it. There's something to being restricted. Uh, to a mentality like that of, of you know using stuff and limiting yourself in that oh, it can't be too complex. No. Well, what can we do then? Because all the, the the most basic shapes are already they've already been used at this point. So it's difficult to, to but it's still a great exercise to try and, and stick to that seventies and eighties uh, sci-fi aesthetic yeah. and, and try to keep one foot in the in the modern modern world. Um, you, you designed the the Ray's home in Force Awakens inside this uh, yes. AT AT Walker. Yeah. Uh, where, where did you get the inspiration? How was the process when you came up with that? Um, I can't remember exactly what the inspiration was. I just remember that um, the production designer uh, Darren Guilford uh, gave me the um, the assignment to do it, and it was one of those things where. Um, I mean, one of those assignments where you immediately go, oh, "Okay, this is going to take me another six months," because every set that I was involved in designing on, on Force Awakens 
which is a massive headache because they would never get approved. But yeah. JJ was just so he wanted to see everything, and and uh, and it was never Star Wars enough. So uh, at that point, when I got the assignment, I was just so uh, you know exhausted from that process. That that the first thing you do when you get handed a new assignment on Star Wars is pretty much to go. You go to yourself, or you say to yourself. Um, well, this is whatever I do now is going to get rejected anyway, so I might might as well just put any old thing together and, and throw it out there to have some sort of starting point. Mm. So it, to me, it was mainly about the light and how the light would um, illuminate this cramped space. And, and the only direction I got from Darren was that, well, again, it had to be simple uh, geometric shapes and... It, it had to be tilted. Uh, the angle was du- mm. Dutch, uh, so uh, he because JJ wanted straight lines in there, and but the world was supposed to, her world inside that uh, that walker was supposed to be tilted. So um, so yeah, the the only thing I did was to to use a very simple um, uh, SketchUp uh, interior. Um, that 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 I can't remember if I did it or someone else did it, but it's just basically a, a big empty uh, space that I just f- started to fill with light and, and sand spilling in from outside and, and just adding some details and stuff, um, making it look like oh how how would a uh, an imperial walker look from the inside and and um, it ended up being the first thing that got I mean it got approved pretty much straight away mm. and I never really had any time to think about it well what what did I base that on or what what was my motivation <laughs> for that it was just uh, one of those times where you just s- switched your brain to autopilot and, and yeah and just did it and, and it just worked straight away so but does it always start with concept art uh, when you do something like this you said that you played with lights is it like You see it in Photoshop, and uh, or well, it depends. I mean, it depends on what you're, um, of what you're doing, or, or what I mean, what the assignment is. If it's very, very story related, then obviously it'll, it'll start with someone just coming up with an idea and, and <clears throat> writing about it, and and then and and then yeah, the, the the next step is usually concept art when it's a very visually. Mm. Um, Uh, ambitious film that you're doing. Um, so, I mean, for Star Wars, then yes, it, 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 there's actually a lot of stuff that starts with concept art. Not not even the story has been written at times when mm. the concept art stage uh, begins. So, for Star Wars, it's pr- yes, it's very much um, concept art at the heart of it. Uh, there, there are thousands upon thousands of um, unseen you know worlds that have been created and 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 paintings and and, and environments and planets uh, for for all the Star Wars films that that will never never see the light of day because it's just an endless phase of just come up with ideas and visual it's visual storytelling yeah all those worlds that we'll never see work with references when you create worlds yeah yeah you need almost every time yeah I, I get an assignment and I don't know mm. how it is for you yeah I agree but, but it's like um, you it's both it's not like you look at a reference and copy stuff uh, straight no, no, off no, no. but it's like 
But you want to capture some sort of uh, feeling or atmosphere yeah. or, or exactly. aesthetic from from something. I agree. Yeah. It's like uh, you also like when you design a lot of stuff, you sort of hammer it into your own visual library as well. So you carry yeah. on your own like backpack with that visual library, and also then you take on look, scrape the internet for good reference images. Yeah, basically. Yeah, um, and it's always good to sort of calibrate yourself like towards reality more, so you mm. you can notice if stuff is off. Yeah, and, and and calibrate yourself uh, in relation to other artists. Yeah. Uh, that 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 was my main thing when I started out. Uh, it was always looking at the guys that I looked up to the most, uh, the guys I idolized. Uh, I I very early on just opened like I had a tab open with their websites at all times, mm. uh, so I could immediately whenever I started on a on a new painting, I would go to their websites and and do if I did um. I don't know a, a, a lava world or some sort of hellish-looking place. I would just find the best um, reference that I could for that, which was usually from one of these guys that I looked up to the most, and and I would have it open on my second monitor, and then I would not quit until I was um, if, if my painting to me didn't feel like um, it was. Um, up to that standard, and obviously, you know, you can never reach their their standard when you first start out. But you, ha I had that as a as a as a, it's a benchmark, anyway. Yes, a, a yeah, almost something like that. Yes, uh, where I would go. Well, how would this artist? What what makes his uh, or her painting so great? And and what it is about? Uh, what is it about it that 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 is so appealing? And what can I do to improve on my work? And 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 if not if nothing else, just refresh the eye because when you look at yeah. your, your own work for so long, you get sick and tired of it. Yeah. And then to to just um, shut your brain off for a moment and then just look at the uh, that that reference painting or the reference photo that that you've had as an inspiration, and look at that for a while and then look back at yours and like really do a, a, as a an objective. Um, as objective as you can do uh, a comparison between the two, even mm -hmm. though it's hard to be objective about your own yeah. work. But um, that, 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 and it's still my it's still my f uh, mentality or, or philosophy when I work. But these days, uh, like you mentioned, Daniel, uh, um, when you've done when you've worked long enough, you have you have your own portfolio, and you've you've already done similar things. Mm -hmm. uh, and usually, when you get a new assignment these days. I've done something similar in the past, so so I can then go. Well, I, I'll, I'll open up my old then work. You can just steal it right off without like feeling bad about it. <laughs> yeah, I steal from myself. Yeah, exactly. No, but but it's it's more about looking at it and oh, I was quite happy with that. But what can I do to improve on it mm. now that some time has passed? And, yeah, right. And uh, so that it's a good way of of motivating yourself yeah. as well after a certain point. It's like also interesting because I mean you work uh, almost purely in two D, right? Ben? Yeah, and, yeah. And you talk about that thing about where you need to refresh the eye, um, and it's it's very interesting. Like because you work in two D, you always see the same image from the same perspective from the same like la la la. Yeah. But in three D, you're like you get that uh, refreshing automatically because you like you tumble around in the scene and you see different stuff yeah. and it's um yeah it, it's very interesting like the the pros and cons of each 
media that you work in. Yeah. Um, Do you primarily work starting with 3D, Danny? Or? Well, I'm. I mean, I'm not a great. 2D artist, basically, like oh, under here. <laughs> but uh, I mean, um, I do 2D as well. Um, but I, it's like, I guess I do a combination. Like I can start out in 3D and do a paint over in 2D, or um, just I like the idea of using multiple sort of media uh, f- for doing stuff. Um, yeah. You, it also makes you not get stuck in a specific uh, shape, basically. Like, uh, I think in the past I've been like starting doing an alien or whatever, and it's just it's the same shape all over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then you can mm-hmm. sort of trick your brain into finding a different shape, basically. Yeah. What's your favorite world that you worked with? That I worked with? Yeah. Well, I, I I would say it's always the latest stuff. <laughs> it's a classic, <laughs> classic can, answer. Yeah, I know, but it's it's true. And you look back and you're like, oh, I thought that was perfect when I worked on that, blah blah blah. But um, but it's um, and I've said this before. It's so great to work in a team because if you are satisfied with something that you worked with with other people, you can sort sort of share that success. Mm. And I mean, mm. it, you've been working uh, part time when you worked uh, at home from Sweden with big movie uh, clients. That yeah. must have been very lonely. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredibly lonely. Yes. Yeah, it's like uh, if if it's, oh, it's approved, oh, that's great. I'll I'll have a tic tac to celebrate. <laughs> I thought I told you to stay on the ship. You did. But I thought it was boring, and you were in trouble. Was it lonely, Andre? <laughs> Does it work in Sweden? Yes, yes, it was yeah. incredibly lonely. But um, I am a bit of a hermit, uh, so I, th- that was not a problem for me. Uh, well, until year four or five, uh, then I started to feel, <laughs> I, I started to get the urge, you know, for social interaction and, and you know, more teamwork based um, assignments and, and projects. So That's when you started to hang around Goodbye Kansas a little yes, more. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. Um, yeah, I think because when I think of my favorite world, I would say that it wasn't at the time, I don't think. I was I was proud of my work on it, but but it was such hard work. But uh, Oblivion, the, the movie Oblivion for me was... Um, was um, r- really um, special... Mm. Uh, in, in that we, I, I mean, I worked on it on and off for four years, and that's a quite quite a long time to spend on a on a movie. Yeah. Um, and, and looking back on it, we we really pushed ourselves with that film visually, and and there was a great sense of even though I wasn't, I was only over uh, um, uh, to, to work on site for for two months on Oblivion uh, in Louisiana. Uh, where they shot the film, um, except for, and then they shot a lot of stuff on, um, on Iceland. But I wasn't, I, I was never there for the shoot. But um, it was um, so. Even though it was only two months out of a four-year period, it was still a great sense of camaraderie and and, and unity at mm-hmm. the end when when we had the cast and crew screening and, and looked at it, and, and it was just all these uh, peripheral, you know, people. 
uh, in my life that I had just, you know, only had email conversations with uh, mm. to see everyone's work come together in one singular product and one uh, one movie like that. It would, that was really something else. Um, and um, as far as creating a world, that would be my favorite one because it was an original world, even though, I mean, it was shot on Iceland. <laughs> but, yeah, right. but it was still, you know, the, what we did with it was had originality to yeah. it, which which is quite rare these days. Even it, though. It, it is also interesting because it's like uh, visually a lot of like contrast, like the environment, everything is, it's post-apocalyptic, so everything is destroyed. But all right. the like... Um, the home that Tom Cruise live in and, and the vehicles and everything is so so polished, like yeah. very bright. So it's yeah. like an interesting and uh, up in the contest. skies. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was the fun part about it because I, I'm I'm not that I I am the 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 sort of asymmetrical, gritty, dirty. Uh, you know, I I like that stuff. I like when when I like the post apocalypse for for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the uh, imperfections um, more than the um, overly designed stuff. But the, the the marriage between the two in Oblivion, in particular, because we had such great designers on it mm. that that populated this world uh, with, with these sleek futuristic designs, uh, and and still they had some sort of retro feel to them um, in in their um, uh, shape, in in the shapes and and, and the way they 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 were portrayed. It was just a great. Um, it was a great um, challenge as a as a concept artist. Is the style of a film always set in like concept art before you start to shoot? Is it is it always like set in stone when the cameras start rolling, or can it evolve during production? I mean, I think it's a great tool because it's really. It's really cheap. <laughs> I mean, it's not yeah. cheap if you work one million hours, of course, and yeah. uh, nothing gets approved. But like uh, doing stuff in uh, actual like three D production, it takes a lot of time to build one asset. But if you if you uh, do a sketch or a concept in two D, it's so much faster, and you can iterate on stuff. Um, yeah. Just yeah. show different ideas, and you it can can be very unpolished and just yeah, yeah. I, w- I would say that for if I take Star Wars as an example, concept art is very important up to a certain po- point. Uh, we have to do tons and tons of concept art for, for the stuff that is being seen in the camera on the shoot. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff that obviously can be solved afterwards, mm. uh, after the fact. So during post-production... You know, if it's a depending on what sort of movie it is, if it's a, a, a hard sci-fi space film, then yeah, I mean, concept art is not that important at the start. I mean, it's important to have a an overall vision, an overall sense of the aesthetic and and what you want to do. But uh, the, the the more intricate details um, of exactly how this world is going to be uh, visualized. Um, can can be dealt with at a later at a later stage. Mm. So, yeah. but it's it's also like um, you asked if uh, concept art is like important in the beginning or if it lives on through the production. And here at Goodbye Kansas, we have 
felt that it is a great tool to like continue to work in a concept stage, even though we're in like full production and rendering things, because then you can sort of do a paint over and find out how you want to change the light or uh, yeah. how you want to populate things or uh, yeah, it's a bad like balance in the image. We want to frame it in a certain way, uh, things mm. like that. Yeah, and that's a good. Again, it's it's very fast and very uh, very cheap way of finding uh, a look that you're after. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you spoke about uh, post-apocalyptic worlds. Uh, you directed a short film called State Zero, yes, uh, which is now is developed into a TV series, and that's set in a post-apocalyptic Stockholm. Tell us, how how did you come up with that idea? (laughs) Did you travel around the world to find the perfect city? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Of course. (laughs) You know me all too well. Yeah. Um, No, it was, uh, yeah, I was working on Force Awakens at the time and and I was just in the mood for for something something darker and something more ominous. And and I wanted to do a, a personal project. I had done a personal project in the past, but... Uh, it was more, I'd only done a concept art for it and, and written a short story and, and that it just, it wasn't enough. I wanted to, I, I'd done so many, I, I'm working in the still frame medium. Uh, you just had too much t- free time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I had just just too much life. money and too much free time. So I, <laughs> too much life. Uh, yeah. So now it was, um, yeah, it was just, uh, um, something that that came to me I, I i don't know where i got the inspiration from to to actually do the a short film uh i i know that i wanted to do a personal project again because i'd, I'd done so many client jobs up until that point that i had um a lot of inspiration ideas for, for stuff that i wanted to do myself and uh, you know one of my biggest uh, guilty pleasures uh is i'm legend and mm. i, I I love the first half of that film. It's just I I I really love it, and and I kept thinking that oh, it would be so cool to see something like this in in Sweden, in yeah. Stockholm, where I live, mm-hmm. and and where you never see any sort of uh, genre movies like this, um, like these. So um, that was um, that, and the fact that I just wanted a, a challenge. Yeah. I felt like it was time to really. Um, you know, uh, challenge myself and, and, and see where where I could take something visually in in, in as as um, moving pictures and, and yeah. not just. But I guess it must have started like um, you're just playing around and getting more serious. But then it's like uh, the thing where you actually re- uh, recorded live action footage. Mm. That's pretty costly. Compared yes. to just sitting alone at home, writing stuff on your computer mm-hmm. and, and painting, because it's it's not a cost, it's just no. time. <laughs> yes, and that sort of threshold, it's, it's, a, it's a big <laughs> threshold. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was uh, the good thing. That was the good thing about working on on site uh, and um, with with Star Wars. I was I was in London. I had all these great connections with you know. I met so many people there in the art department. Mm. That um, wanted to do to help me out to do this this uh, this project when I when, when I told them about it. So it was a lot easier to gather a team, uh, being around other people. I, I could never have done that if I'd been stuck in my hometown and and, and yeah. all, been all by myself. 
So uh, yeah, once I started to, and and that's the other thing. If 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 there is a threshold and you feel not certain that you can pull this off or that you actually want to push yourself and actually do it, mm. it, it truly helps once you get one person on board on your mm. project because then it, it becomes serious and you don't want to be the guy who just talks about it and never yeah, does yeah, anything. Yeah, exactly. So if you involve someone and get them invested, then certainly if you get another person involved and a third one and a fourth one, then mm. you have this external pressure on yourself, which you need to, in order to be able to pull something like that off uh, because it's such hard work and it's so um, complicated to, to, to shoot something. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it truly is. It, it takes it, it takes it out of you. So, um, yeah. but yeah, and I, I remember I'd, I'd read the book, um, I, I'd read a book called The Passage at the time, which I loved. Uh, it's, it's such a great post-apocalyptic adventure. And I wanted to take, um, some, insp- I, I had some inspiration from that. And then I just kept thinking about I am legend in Stockholm. And then that, that was the only thing I needed, uh, in order to, um, uh, to get it started, get the ball rolling. And, um, yeah. That's exciting. You out there, you know that you can see state zero, uh, at the goodbyecancers.com website. It's actually up there so you can watch it. And, uh, I'm looking forward to, to all the new worlds that you will create in the future. It was great to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. You out there, as usual, you can see some of the things that we talked about at the Goodbye Cancer's website, goodbyecancer.com. And mail us if you have thoughts or questions or something that you think we should talk about in future pods. In our next episode, we will enter the world of the undead and talk about slashing zombies, focusing on the wonderful world of the walking dead. It will be, well, gory, I think. Until next time, goodbye, a bientôt, auf Wiedersehen, wiehoosh. Um, Okej. Okay. Have you always nej, t- tredje försöket här ja, nu. Det här det, det här är patetiskt. Nej nej nej, mm. det är ja, fan det är bara lugnt. Det är den här jävla micken som bara hör mig själv i kan man kan, kan ta av dem. Ja, vi kan du för dig om du vill. Jag hör ju jag lika ja, bra då. Ja, då gör så. Gör du det? Flott. Hör <laughs> du?